Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it, it is Victory Lane. Today we have the best intermediate venue in the world. Not just in NASCAR, but in the entire world to recap. And God, I wish we could race there all the time. Plus, star of the show, part one of our conversation with Janet's dad, Dylan Welch, he's on with us. But before that, we're paying homage to a former champion in the 97 car on episode 97. Here's Pops with more this week. Thank you, Duve, and hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed our chat with Lightning McQueen last week. Today, a more traditional review of number 97. 690 cup starts for the 97 and 17 wins. 14 of which came via Kurt Busch. Busch also has the most starts in the 97 with 184. Many of you know Kurt from his time with Stuart Haas Racing and most recently Chip Ganassi Racing, but he made a name for himself driving for Jack Roush in the 97. You might remember those cool-looking Rubbermaid and Sharpie cars. He took over that ride from Chad Little in 2000, and he won the inaugural Nextel Cup Chase for the Championship in 2004. And, of course, he's still getting it done this day, though his younger brother has often stolen the spotlight with his own talent and accomplishments, if not his petulant attitude. An honorable mention this week goes to the open-wheel great who tallied two of the other wins for the 97. That's Parnelli Jones. Those wins came one each, in 1958 and 1959. They were different times, my friends, when the great talents from open-wheel USAC competition crossed sanctioning body lines to drive stock cars on occasion. You can include Jones in that list, along with others like A.J. Foyt, Mario Andretti, and Dan Gurney. Jones won the 1963 Indy 500 as a driver, and he won it twice as an owner, in 1970 and 71, when my favorite IndyCar driver, Al Unser, won in the iconic Johnny Lightning Special. Check that one out sometime when you have a minute. It might be an even greater accomplishment that Jones lived to tell about his exploits from those days. And that's all for this week. Back to you, Duve. Thank you, Dad. Appreciate that homage to the outlaw, of course. And before we get the episode started talking about Slick Bill Byron, let's Give a good old-fashioned <laughs> And we're off and rolling. William Byron wins at Homestead Miami Speedway, or Slick Bill as we call him. His first win last year was at Daytona. We remember that. And it wasn't a fluke by any means. Don't get me wrong. But people look at it differently. Some people do. And I get that. But at the same time, he's a winner in the Cup Series. That's all that really matters. But now he's won on a mile and a half. It's a little bit more legitimate. He's a multi-time winner. He's locked into the playoffs early. And he said that preparation in the offseason was a real key to this one. Plus, obviously, his new crew chief, Rudy Fugel. 
the work and the effort goes back a long ways, you know, getting Rudy on board and, and just having a guy like that um, to work with. We, we really think the same way. And, uh, you know, it helps us in a lot of ways to, uh, to progress through races and communicate well and um, work through the off season. So I'd say it's a lot to do with the off season prep. And uh, as soon as we got in the race, I mean, the track was super slick to start. Um, we had to start pretty far back, but made our way up and uh, just had to keep adjusting on the car and, and kind of finding those little bits. I think the 19 was really strong uh, to start the race. Uh, the 17 was surprisingly really good. Um, so we had to kind of work on that and, and uh, you know, had a, had a really good restart the last the last one the two pushed me super hard down the back stretch and and um the car was just the car was just good enough so it's uh, it's cool when you have cars like that and you can make moves and make them stick so love this racetrack it's really fun yeah and this one i was just waiting for the 24 to fall back but he just he never did his teammate kyle larson didn't catch him neither did reddick at the end which we will get to oh my gosh uh, but that's just a testament to the driver and the team at this track. I mean, Jeff Gordon's had some good runs here way back in the 24 car. Hendrick Motorsports in general has had really good solid runs here as well. I think they put all four of their drivers inside the top 15 and all four were running inside the top 10 at some point, And a lot of them garnered stage points. So good day for Hendrick. Good day for Rudy Fugel too, huh? Third career cup series start as a crew chief and he gets her in victory lane. He kept saying, let it live on the radio in the closing stages, and Alan Kavana pointed it out. I had no idea what that meant. I was going to ask him. They didn't get to me in the presser, but Alan asked them, and Rudy also gets us a little hyped up, some motivational stuff here from the crew chief of the 24. It's a Tony Hirschman thing with me, you know, and then uh, we've just kind of applied it through all the years. It's uh, it's tell me, it's, it's a great thing to say because that means you're leading, and that means you're usually pulling away. And that means that you just need to drive underneath the tires so that you can deal with anything else that's going to come across, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with lap traffic, whatever, or somebody's coming from the back of the pack and you've got a little bit left. So it just, uh, that's all it's meaning, you know, just not to push too hard, you know, and a lot of it just comes from having such young drivers like I'm used to, of, you know, they just, they get the lead and they drive harder than they should. So um, I don't think William needed that, but it, it felt good to say it. So we just, uh, we kept going with it. First of all, with the weird winners we've had so far, I don't think we're weird, but you know, it kind of is a little bit weird. We have to be careful that you're not going to get too many one wins. So you just want to keep attacking for that reason, you know, but then two is, you know, we want to learn how to be a winning race team. You know, in the playoffs to win a championship, you have to you have to win a lot of races. So we have to learn how to do that now and get used to that um, to be able to contend for a championship. You know, so we're not a championship team yet, but we, over the next 20 some weeks, we're going to become one. So that's what we're going to do. You heard it right there. They're not a championship team yet, but they will be. I guess we will see Rudy Fugel. We will see. P2 on the night was Tyler Reddick. He was absolutely just ripping the top at the end. Unfortunately, it was just too little too late. And he was mired back in like the 20s and the 30s for some of the race, though. I'm telling you, though, if this race was 10 laps longer, you better strap in and buckle your seatbelts because it was going to be a wild ride. He was gaining like eight, nine tenths of a second a lap, and he was coming with a vengeance. He was 11 seconds back of the leader, I think, with about 20 laps to go. I think he finished three or four seconds back. But still, you can hear the, the the disappointment in his voice because he knew that this was his shot. Yeah, just because uh, I knew that it was going to take a well-executed restart, uh, which I unfortunately didn't do. The last two, three, maybe it was four or five spots. I don't know. Five too many. 
And uh, it just takes time to get back around those cars. They're good drivers. They know what they're doing. Um, and that's just the difference. So I don't know why we were so off in the, in the beginning of the day uh, here, you know, last year or in the summer. Um, we took off really, really good in the daytime. So I thought we're going to be better in the day and, and everyone's going to catch up at night. It was the opposite. So, yeah, when you see how much faster you're running than, than the guys in front of you, you know you're running out of time. It gets really it gets frustrating. It's really easy to go back and look at one or two things that would have changed the outcome. So, yeah, I, I get it. Can't go back and change it. But we had a really bad start to the year. Uh, second's great, but it's not going to put us in a great – we're still – way back in the mess in the mess in the mix of it so you know look Darlington and Atlanta maybe you really can't run the fence Atlanta but you know there's a couple tracks left that what what works here you can somewhat apply to those places yeah now he's in a big hole uh I mean less now but he was in a big hole coming into the race so that's why he wanted to to get this victory to lock him into the playoffs it would have been a big deal for him but onwards and upwards for Reddick in the eight team can I get a can I get something for Michael McDowell? Shout out to my Vine people. Can I get a hoya for Michael McDowell? Oh my god. Three straight top ten finishes. Have you ever? No, I've never. No, Michael McDowell has not ever either. How do I know that? Because here's a stat for you. He had never had back-to-back top ten finishes in his 14-year career in the Cup Series coming into 2021. He doesn't just have back-to-back top 10s. He has three in a row. Daytona win. Road course top 10. And he got a sixth place finish at Homestead Miami Speedway. That's not on fuel strategy. That's not on tire strategy. That's not attrition. That's pure raw speed out of that 34 car. How the hell did he do it? And how big of a deal is it? I think that this is a, a really big thing for us. I mean, the Daytona 500 is huge, right? You're not going to replace that. Um, but the fact that we're legitimately running in the top 10, you know, not, not just here, but at the road course last week too, you know, we overcame a lot of issues last week and, and really raced our way back into the top 10. And, you know, to start the season with three top 10s on three very different racetracks, you know, Daytona, like I said, everybody knows that anything can happen there, but um, you know, I, I'm very, you know, proud of my race team. I mean, we have done a great job of making big gains. I mean, to be running down Kevin Harvick with five laps to go for a top five, that's stinking awesome for us to even be in that, that sentence conversation, you know, uh, it just shows how much hard work everyone's done at front row. And it's just, it's just awesome right now. <laughs> stinking awesome. I love that quote from McDowell. That's so Michael McDowell to say stinking awesome, isn't it? And also, I mean, he didn't finish as high as McDowell did, but how about Chris Busher? He really impressed me too on Sunday. One stage one for Roush Fenway Racing, led a bunch of laps, almost surpassed his entire career laps led mark, wound up coming close and a little bit short of that. But once the sun went down, he fell off big time, fell like a rock. I mean, he was literally the fastest car in the field when the sun was out, and then once it went down, he was not as good, not nearly as good. So what happened? A really good start for us, and I uh, was really happy with the speed we had in the daylight in our passing on Ford Mustang. Uh, really proud of this group. I think we knew this would be um, a pretty good test for what uh, we were able to, to have uh, made gains on during the offseason, and I think that showed that uh, a lot of things we hit on and, uh, and are heading in the right direction. Uh, with that, unfortunately, the night did not uh, do us a whole lot of favors, and, and Dirty Air was um, 
it was really rough on us there at the end, but uh, we still learned a, a ton out of it. Uh, a little bit of fender damage that, that may have slowed us down. I mean, it's, uh, it's an excuse basically. So we got to keep working at it hard, um, but I am really proud of everybody and uh, everyone back at the shop. They did a really nice job on, on this race car. Um, I think we made some, uh, some awesome gains. We just got to keep, keep our heads down going to Vegas and uh, see what we can apply and, uh, and definitely work on what we can make better as the race goes on. I love Homestead Miami Speedway, guys. I mean, it's 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 low-hanging fruit to say, oh, this is the best intermediate track we have. It's It puts on great racing. But it's so damn true. I mean, the tire fall-off, the differing strategies, the abrasive surface, multiple grooves and lanes, it really like it really does not get better than Homestead for a mile-and-a-half track. You, you can have your short tracks. You can have your road courses. You can have your super speedways. For my money... Homestead's the best track in NASCAR, period, bar none. And you saw it this weekend on display. Xfinity put on an insane show. I got to give a shout out to Myatt Snyder. Let's go to him right now. Uh, The homie, former guest on this very program, slayed it for RCR. You see what I did there? On a late restart after the Noah Greggs and David Starr deal happened, he gets his first career win in the Xfinity series on the best track of them all, Homestead Miami Speedway. Here is Mr. Snyder. I guess I got a great second chance there in the second restart because I saw the first time, obviously, I spun my wheels and I didn't quite get going anywhere. And so I saw that Tyler happened to do the same thing on the second restart. So I knew that if I could just lay as much power down as I could and get out ahead of everybody, then I'd have a great chance. So um, it's uh, it's just amazing to finally be in this position to having having won a NASCAR Xfinity race with a, a great sponsor like Tax Slayer great team like Richard Childress Racing, uh, other great partners like Louisiana Hot Toss and Spear Essex. And just the amount of support that I have behind me is, is unreal. And um, I'm just, I'm so happy for everybody. Congratulations to Myatt there. Held off Tyler Reddick for a second place finish at the end, but Reddick was then disqualified for failing post-race heights in his 23 Rayum Brothers Our Motorsports Chevrolet. That's besides the point. Reddick loves this place because he can rip the top. So can Larson. Only a couple people can do it really, really well. Noah is one of them, but he came up a little bit short and had a lot of bad luck running into David Starr at the end. Uh, If you want some thoughts on that, actually, check out NASCAR Mailbox this week, written by yours truly on frontstretch.com. I know I'm all over the place, but guys, Homestead's so freaking awesome. It it really is. I mean, God, I I want the championship race to be back there. I want there to be multiple races here every year. I want there to be quadruple headers, and I want K&N to be there, and... Oh my God, it's just KN doesn't even exist. You see where my mind goes when I'm just hyped up about Homestead? It's just so good. Uh, thank you, Homestead. I miss you already. Interview time. Part one of our chat with Dylan Welch of the Motor Racing Network, NBC, Midget Racer Extraordinaire. He's a really, really cool cat, and he's done a whole heck of a lot in his life and his career, from racing midgets to being a fixture on television and radio broadcasts for NASCAR fans and motorsports fans in general. He's done a lot in a little amount of time, and I really appreciate him giving me a lot of his time today to chat. It was so long, we had to break it up into two parts, so you're going to hear a lot about Dylan. Super Planet Janet makes an appearance. It was obviously very, very fun. Talked about a ton of different stuff, and I really, really enjoyed the chat. I hope you will too. Here's part one of our chat with Dylan Welch. I'm pretty proud of myself because I have a great intro prepared for this week's guest. He is Hannah Newhouse's boyfriend, and he is Janet's dad. 
It is Dylan Welch. That's it. I'm not even going to mention MRN, NBC, your dirt racing escapades. None of that. It's just Janet and Hannah. That's how I know you, and that's how everybody should know you. That's honestly how probably a lot of people do know me is uh, <laughs> is through through Hannah's social media uh, uh-huh. escapades. So uh, no, I'm I'm excited, Davey. So thanks for having me on. Oh, for sure. Thanks for thanks for hopping on. I had Hannah on a while ago. It was actually episode 48, which and this is episode 97. So it was 49 episodes ago that I had her on episode 48. Little numerology there. So I almost like have you guys. I don't know why it took me this long to get you on because I feel like I should have just had you on back to back, even together. So I guess I dropped the ball, but better late than never. Hey, once again, I, I and I tell Hannah this all the time. You know, she is way more famous and important than I am. So <laughs> I just uh, I just ride in on the coattails. So uh, you know, that's that's how it goes some days. You guys are both washed up race car drivers, still trying to race here and there and just doing some talking on the side. That's pretty much it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I joke about the intro, but Dylan, you are insanely busy and insanely accomplished for your age. Are you, how old are you? 27, 26, something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you're doing work with MRN. You're doing work with NBC, IMSA, NASCAR. You're racing midgets. You're a devoted boyfriend, a devoted doggy daddy. Uh, I mean, like what else is on your plate? Can we fit anything on there? Cause I feel like you're low key, one of the most busy guys in the sport right now. Yeah. It's funny. You know, it's like uh, during the week, you know, I don't really do very much and, and kind of how my, my schedule is right now with, um, with the way NBC has things scheduled where, you know, they kind of have to utilize their, their primary talent at the beginning of the year. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. generally pick up NBC stuff until, um, you know, heavily until the summer. So that allows me to do some MRN stuff, you know, in the, the early, you know, spring months and, and kind of into the early part of the summer, but even with MRN and the way they've structured things this year with, with COVID and everything, um, my schedule really this year, like at this time is pretty lax. Like I don't go to Vegas this weekend. I wasn't in, uh, I haven't worked since the 500. Um, so I'm, I've got some more time off, Um, but I was looking at our schedules last night and when I get to like June, it's like, it makes my head spin already. Just looking at it, you know, (laughs) is it's like, it's like one weekend I'm supposed to be like in Canada for IMSA the next weekend I'm in, you know, like road America for IndyCar. And then the next weekend I'm doing MRA and NASCAR stuff. So it's like, it's, uh, it's hard to keep track of for me too, but I'm, you know, just thankful obviously for, for all the opportunities and the people that, uh, that give them to me. Are you a calendar guy? Do you keep it all on a calendar? I do. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of it is, is honestly for me, just keeping track of like, you know, who I need to invoice and who I need to get get my money from. (laughs) So that's a big part of it is just an organization, organizational standpoint. But, um, I'm very like OCD about, you know, a lot of that stuff. Like I, you know, my calendars are all color coded and all that stuff. Just, I was just going to ask, you gotta have the colors. Yeah. Yeah. Just to, just to try to keep track of it all, because, you know, I, I do, I do do a lot and I do, you know, have some, you know, income coming in from, various different sources. So it's mm-hmm. easier for me if I can just be, you know, uber organized and just kind of keep track of it all in one, one sheet. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't think I'm as busy as you in terms of when stuff really picks up for you, but like, for example, with my NBC job and my serious job, I have it color coded on my calendar. So when it gets to Friday or Saturday night and I'm putting in my time, I can see, okay, like how many hours did I work for this job? Oh wait, was it the other one? It's, it's like, it's hard to keep it all straight, but if you have it all in front of you and the colors, 
That's the thing. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't know you were a you were a fellow like self-diagnosed mild OCD or like me because it's it like consumes my everyday life without me even knowing it. <laughs> it's fun. It's funny because like I never like I always knew that I was I was you know I liked organization and yeah. and you know structure and that sort of thing. But it's been funny, um, you know, since Hannah and I moved in together, like she she's very organized and very you know structured in the same way but just differently mm -hmm. than i am so yeah. it's been funny because she, you know she gives me a hard time about like you know she'll put stuff you know put stuff in the dishwasher and like i redo it because it's not how <laughs> i want it to be done you know so it's like it's, we same it's, thing. it's weird stuff like that you know that it it uh you know that it kind of comes out i do the same thing with my girlfriend and with my mom and she's like what are you doing i was like it's just like you have a little thing here and it's just like it's not even it's just you, you yeah. wouldn't understand you know but yeah. you get it so i appreciate <laughs> you for that um let's go all the way back to the beginning man i i did a lot of research on you so so uh strap in buckle your seat belts i know you're from indiana obviously first and foremost and your dad people know your dad vince welch obviously with fox sports with the truck series we'll get to him and you guys working together but i read somewhere that your dad wanted to get you into basketball. Shocker, Indiana basketball. Wouldn't have put those two together. But you weren't really having it. You were you were always going to be racing from the jump, and you said, to hell with basketball, I want a steering wheel. Can you take me back to the first time that you and your dad either had that conversation or you put that seed and saying, I want to go racing? Yeah, it's funny. You know, I, I uh, they my mom and dad both always told me that when I was a kid, you know, they would – um, they would put, you know, like little toy basketballs or footballs or baseballs in my crib. And mm -hmm. I would literally throw a fit until they put like my hot wheels cars in there with me. So <laughs> before I really even knew, you know, what I actually liked, you know, I just was always a car kid and always yeah. you know liked cars and trucks and stuff. And then, yeah, my dad, you know, grew up, uh, you know, in Indianapolis on the West side and, and was a huge, uh, just stick and ball sport fan, you know, grew up close enough to the speedway that he, you know, knew about racing, but wasn't a fan by any means. Um, so he never pushed the racing thing. You know, that was never even anything really that he and I even ever discussed. It was just, I just always liked cars and, and, you know, was about cars and he would, you know, he, I played T-ball and, you know, you know, rec league soccer and basketball and all that stuff. And just wasn't very good, first of all, but didn't like it. Um, so, you know, it was, it was funny because, uh, you know, about the time that I kind of started to, um, you know, be old enough to do something like a go-kart or a quarter midget, uh, he had just started to get more involved on his broadcasting side in the racing industry, um, in Indianapolis, you know, some of the local news stations, you know, obviously were, were pretty heavy in the racing coverage, but he had started doing, uh, like some indie racing league broadcasts on Fox mm -hmm. and some stuff like that. So, uh, about that same time, you know, I kind of was, I think, expressing, you know, some interest or, or desire to do something, um, you know, racing wise. And, um, he was at Phoenix and was sitting on the pit wall talking to Billy boat about, you know, what he should do with me. Cause I wasn't interested in anything but racing long story short, Billy sold my dad, one of their quarter midgets for his son, Chad, that, uh, you know, they weren't going to use anymore. They were getting different cars. So we bought that first quarter midget from Chad and Billy boat when I was seven. Um, and we kind of went off to the races from there. Didn't really know what we were doing, but you know, <laughs> it was just going to be something fun for my dad and I to do. So that was 2001. And then mm -hmm. to kind of bring everything full circle, you fast forward to 2019. Um, I raced a midget, a dirt midget for Chad boat. 
you know, yeah. in his, his own team, his own, you know, the stuff that he owned. So, um, we have the boat family to thank for, uh, you know, a lot of things. And I think really kind of, you know, for first getting me, uh, really started in racing. So I was going to touch on your racing stuff later, but let's do it now. Cause you, you jump right into it and you took a couple of the words right out of my mouth. Um, I think you recently did your 10th straight chili bowl. Do I have that number right? I think it was the 10th one I've been to the ninth one I've raced in. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I feel like that's got to be a big point of pride for you just to be there and compete in 90% of them, at least. Uh, obviously, you haven't done as well as you've wanted to, especially this year. I know it was a little rough on you. Uh, but still, competing in nine straight Chili Bowls and being at that premier event for a decade straight, that's a big deal. And and being who you are, doing what you do on the broadcasting side, and then having that other leg to stand on and saying, you know, I'm talking to these drivers and asking them all these questions, but I'm not just some some guy with a microphone. Like I know what I'm doing here. I race. I race with Christopher Bell on the same team with Kyle Larson at the Chili Bowl with Ryan Newman. All these drivers. I feel like that gives you another leg to stand on, and and it puts you above a lot of other people in the industry because you have that unique aspect of things. Yeah, it, it really is unique, and um. You know, yeah, I mean, to your first point, you know, it's it's awesome and crazy in the same vein to think about that, you know, I've raced in that many Chili Bowls because it's just such a such an awesome event and, and you know, marquee racing event, um, you know, to be able to do it as many years as I have is, is amazing. But um, that is that's one of the things, too, you know, I've kind of wavered back and forth the last couple of years really about, you know, whether I want to continue to race. It's like, you know, it's like, what's what's the point really at the, you know, I'm 27, like, I'm not going to prove anything to anybody, you know, it's expensive, you know, why do I keep doing it? The Chili Bowl brings me back every year, because I love running that race. I love, you know, just being there and being a part of it. So that's like what keeps me, you know, wanting to race. But it is cool, you know, it's, it's, and I don't, I don't continue to race because I feel like it does give me a unique relationship with, with those guys that you mentioned. But it, it's certainly an added bonus, you know, it's, it's, nine times out of 10, when I go up to get ready to interview one of those guys, the first thing they say to me is, you know, when are you racing again? You know, when's the next yeah. time you're in the car? And, you know, we don't, we don't really talk much about their race cars until we're doing yeah. the interview. Like a lot of just, you know, the lead up to, you know, the interview is them talking to me about my racing, which mm -hmm. is really cool. You know I mean? It's, it's, you know, you, you try not to be a fan, but it's like, you know, when you watch guys like Kyle Larson and Christopher Bell, go out and do what they do on the dirt track or even be. in, even in NASCAR, you know, it's like, these guys are, you know, they're badasses, like they're cool dudes, you know, and really good at what they do. Um, and so for them to like, you know, take an interest in me and what I'm doing, uh, is super humbling and, and something that I really appreciate. So you mentioned that conversation you had in Phoenix in 2001 with Billy boat that kind of started at all. Uh, I'm curious at that point, you know, your dad's with you. He obviously has been, in the racing world at that point for a little bit. He understands how it works um, from a relationship standpoint, definitely from a financial standpoint from the outside. But as you guys know, I mean, it's not cheap to get into racing. And if, if you want to make a small fortune in racing, you start with a big one. I think Felix mm -hmm. Abad has said that one. Still rings true today in 2021. So when you were seven years old in 01, and you, Billy Boat, your dad, you said, all right, let's try to do this thing. Was there any hesitation at all, or was it just full bore? We don't really know what we're doing, but we're going to lean on the people that do, and we're going to try to make this a reality. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and I don't even know if when we bought it, there was any goals of even, you know, it's like we just kind of bought, I think my dad just kind of bought it just to give me something to do and see if I would like it. You know, it's like, we so it was bought, purely we, like for fun at that point. Yeah. I mean, literally just, uh, just an activity, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. no different than, you know, another kid playing, you know, little league basketball or something. It right. was just, it was just what we decided to do. So it's like, we got the car. We didn't even know how to start it. Like we, I mean, we had literally <laughs> no idea. Um, and, and so we just kind of rolled with it, you know, and we had a, we had a great local club there at, in Indianapolis, uh, at the state fairgrounds that, uh, you know, we raced at and, and just kind of, you know, go through the motions of, of progressing, um, you know, through the quarter midget ranks. And it just, it just kind of spawned from there, you know, the first couple of years when we kind of realized, you know, that, you know, I had some ability, I guess that, you know, we, <laughs> we would maybe want to, you know, pursue it a little further, but yeah, I mean, when we, when we first bought it, I mean, it was, it was literally just something to, you know, to do. And, and there was no, no aspirations, even on my end, really, I don't think to, you know, to make it into anything more than that. So it's, it's amazing that it's, uh, you know, been 20 years since, you know, I first started racing. Wow. You're old. That's, uh, that's crazy. <laughs> um, a question I have for you. Cause I mean, even though we're not the same age, we're around the same age. So, you know, we grew up around the same things and, and similar upbringings and stuff like that. So when you're going to school, right. And you're 10 years old, 12 years old, going to middle school, starting high school, and you're still racing and stuff. Do your friends understand the significance of what you're doing? Are they in the racing world? Do they have a pulse on it? Or is it more so just kind of how my school was where it's like, and granted, this is a completely different area, but it's like, I was that kid. Like I was the NASCAR kid who wore the shirts and people are like, oh, how was the car race this weekend? You watch some circles. It's that thing. So I understand, you know, in your area, it wasn't like that, but you were unique because you were actually racing. Did you have any other friends in school that were racing or was it more so that they understood what you were doing, but they couldn't really relate? Yeah, I, I really, I mean, I, I don't say this for, for pity or anything, but it's just the truth. It's like, I really didn't have that many friends growing up that really even cared that much about what I was, what I was doing that, mm -hmm. uh, I never really, I never really even dealt with any of that. And, and one of my, I mean, my best friend now is a, is a kid who's a couple years older than me that, that went to my same elementary school and middle school and high school and stuff. Um, so like, you know, through, you know, got to know him obviously, and we became really good friends and bonded over that. But, um, when I was, yeah, when I was younger, like in elementary school, um, you know, there was, there was kids that I was, you know, friends with that knew that I raced and, and, you know, wanted to, you know, wanted to have my t-shirt and that sort of thing, which was, was cool. Um, and I had a couple teachers and I think third grade, um, that knew about it and came out to watch one of my quarter midget races, which was, was obviously pretty neat. So, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, I, I was definitely, definitely the kind of the oddball, I guess, in that sense that you still um, are. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, that's, that's true. Um, but yeah, uh, there was, I, I was never really, um, I never really had anybody else to really talk about it with or, or anybody that really got it or was, you know, as big of a fan of, of it as I was. Cause your friends were at the racetrack, I presume. Yeah, they, they really were. Yeah. I mean, when I was, when I was growing up, um, you know, the, my good friends were the kids I was racing against, you know, mm -hmm. so it was, uh, and they were all, you know, around Indianapolis, but different, different schools and areas and stuff. But yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. So let's fast forward a little bit, Dylan, 2013 and 2014, I believe. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I mean, as you know, I don't really know a ton about dirt racing, but I tried my best. Uh, I think those two years you entered the Chili Bowl with Brian Clawson. Do I have that right? Yep. Mm -hmm. So what was it like to be around him? Because obviously his legend lives on now after his passing. 
And when he did pass, you know, I, I still was kind of new in, in the media and broadcasting space. But I, I knew about Brian Clawson because of his escapades on dirt. And I know he had a little foray into NASCAR, but his legacy lives on as a dirt guy. And the fact that you were able to run with him in the most prestigious race on dirt, I know that must have meant a lot to you. Yeah, Brian was amazing. And, and I was I was fortunate, too. In 2012, I ran a full a full dirt season with him and then made my first Chili Bowl start kind of at the end of 2012, which was cool. technically January of 13. But um, so, yeah, you know, got to spend you know, a good amount of time around him. And um, he was amazing, you know, and, and for people that never really got to see him race, um, he was every bit as good as as a Kyle Larson or a Christopher Bell or, you know, pick one out of the hat, you know, right. definitely should have been racing on Sundays. Um, you know, it was just that good. And, and was even better on dirt, you know, obviously, I mean, that was where he, he, you know, his, his claim to fame was, was the dirt stuff, but, um, you know, just never really gotten the right opportunities in the NASCAR side. You know, he had a really good chance obviously with Ganassi and then the economy crashed. So he lost that ride and then never mm -hmm. really gotten a, a great Indy car, but, um, so, you know, so deserving, you know, of, of being at the top level. But I think one of the things that, that people appreciated about him was that, you know, yeah, he'd, he'd went and he'd moved to North Carolina and tried the stock car thing and it didn't, didn't work out. And he came back to dirt with no hesitation and just picked up right where he left off and yeah. loved it, you know, just was so passionate about the dirt racing world and the dirt racing community. And that endeared him to, uh, you know, to race fans, obviously, and, and people like myself who, you know, grew up watching him and, and, you know, he became a hero and then to get, you know, the chance to race for him obviously was super special. So, um, yeah, Brian, Brian was awesome. He was, uh, he was one of a kind and still think about him all the time. You know, his, his impact, um, it's hard to believe it's going to be five years in August since he passed yeah. and his, his impact is still, still felt, you know, every time you go to the racetrack. Was he one of the guys that you looked up to in terms of maybe a mentor or somebody you tried to emulate behind the wheel of a race car? Was there somebody else? No, I mean, it, Brian for sure was, I mean, I think at the top of that list and, um, you know, there, there were moments throughout, you know, my career when I was first kind of getting started racing midgets, um, you know, and, and I, I'd known Brian, he was, he's an Indiana guy, and mm -hmm. my dad knew him. And, and so I kind of had known him a little bit before I got to race for him. Um, and there were moments where, you know, he would just walk up to me in the pit somewhere and, you know, either be complimentary or constructive in, in ways to try to get myself better, you know, just completely unprompted. And, uh, That's that was cool. something I always, I always appreciated about him, you know, that he, he cared, you know, and if he liked you, uh, he wanted you to succeed and he wanted, wanted to help you. So, um, that was something that I, I always appreciated, but yeah, I mean, I, I grew up, you know, around Indiana dirt tracks and, and he was the guy, I mean, he was, he was the one to beat and he was the, you know, he was the best one. He was the stud and, um, you know, but a super nice guy too, in the same vein, which, you know, like I said, made him, made him that much more likable. So one more thing on Brian and, and then we can move on because I'm curious, you know, everybody always says, don't meet your heroes. You know, you, you may be let down, that type of thing. And it sounds like Brian was that guy for you behind the wheel of a race car. And the fact that you not only got to meet him, you got to drive for him, drive with him, and he helped mentor you a little bit in your time behind the wheel too, unprompted, like you mentioned. I feel like that, I mean, looking back on it now, he said five years, feels like way longer than that, honestly um, since he's, since he's passed, but looking back on it now, the fact that he did all of that stuff for you, whether he knew it or not, left a really big impact and lasting impression on you. And he didn't have to do any of that. And I think, yeah. you know, besides his legacy on track, off track, if you want to compare it to stuff that he did on track, 
you on a personal level, that's got to be a big legacy of his as well. Yeah, it was. I mean, and, and, you know, when he passed, obviously there was, there was lots of, um, you know, tributes and things on social media and, and, and things like that. And the majority of them were not about things he did on the track. It was about how he touched people off the track. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and in, in my own personal, uh, you know, kind of tribute, that was, that was what I talked about was, you know, things that he did that to him were not really a big deal, but just, you know, spoke to his character and the kind of person he yeah. was. And, and they were things that, you know, made a huge mark on me and my life and my career. So, um, you know, again, I think that's why he was so well liked. It was because, you know, a lot of times, you know, you, you have guys that are really good on the racetrack and, you know, maybe, uh, are, are cocky or, or just don't handle the success the right way. However you mm -hmm. want to phrase that. Um, and it rubs people the wrong way. And Brian was the opposite. You know, he had, he had the success, he had, uh, you know, his own team, he was, you know, winning, he, you know, was winning the races that he needed to win to, you know, kind of, you know, elevate himself to that next level of legend. Yeah. Um, and he was as nice as can be about it. Super approachable to anybody that came up to him. And, um, you know, it's hard, hard to find, you know, sometimes these days, you know, you don't, don't always get that in people. Yeah, absolutely. Miss him every day. So let's fast forward a few years. Uh, as you mentioned, everything came full circle in 2019, 2020, whatever it was, the December, January chili bowl thing confuses me. But, um, so, I mean, all this started in 01 with the boats helping you guys get started and then you race for the boats in the Chili Bowl. Um, have you? You've obviously reflected on that because you mentioned that's like really cool that that happened. Had you had a conversation with your dad or any of the boats about how weird that is and how cool that is to have it all actually come full circle, especially amid these really really strange times? But to have it happen like that, it's pretty storybook. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about it, you know, amongst us, and it is it is crazy, you know, it's. Uh, it, it was one of those things too, you know, where I'd been racing, um, you know, off and on just three or four times a year for a guy back in Indiana, um, you know, and, and was having a blast racing for him. You know, our cars were, were good enough for me. You know, they, they probably weren't going to go out there and, and be, you know, uber competitive, but I didn't really need him to be because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't racing enough to really need, you know, super, super good equipment. Right. Um, and, and I had had enough success, you know, kind of racing off and on that, it kind of perked my interest of, okay, I kind of want to see, you know, if I could get a, you know, 10 race schedule or something put together, run some USAC national races. I kind of just want to see what I can do. And if I don't do well, then I can make my piece with, you know, being done and, and we can move on. And, and Chad was, was really the only guy that I wanted to do that with because, um, you know, his, his equipment is super nice. Um, you know, he takes care of it. He takes pride in it. Obviously he's, he's based here in North Carolina. So that was a, a huge draw too. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the fact that, you know, we had a prior relationship with them, you know, I think is, uh, was obviously a big part of it too. And, and they, you know, we talked, you know, several years prior about, you know, trying to get involved and do something with them. So it all worked out, you know, super well. And, and, you know, um, had, had some success, you know, had some really good runs running for Chad and, and, um, our first chili bowl night or, uh, 2020 chili bowl, I guess it would have been, um, we were really good. I mean, we're one spot away from making the A main on Saturday. And, yeah. um, you know, it was, uh, it's, it was really fun to, to get to race with them and, and be, you know, and stuff that was, uh, you know, probably the best stuff in the pits. So the B main is the highest you've got in alphabet soup, right? You were really close to getting to the A. I made, I made the feature one time, 2016. Oh, oh sick. I didn't know that. Yep. That's dope. Yep. 2016. How'd you do? Uh, towards the back somewhere, but it, honest at that. So I'll tell you that story too, just quickly, because Please. that, 
that was even really more remarkable than even missing it by one this past year. Like we were, or in 2020, we were, we were good enough in 2020 that we should have made it, you know, and, right. and it, I just kind of made a couple of mistakes that cost us. But in 2016, I was running for this other guy. I was, you know, talking to you about had mm-hmm. raced one other time between Chili Bowl 2015 and 2016. I'd ran one race in between, um, was announcing for USAC as their PA guy. That's how, that's what I was known for. Like the, you know, I was, the announcer first and then yeah. would race every once in a while had never done anything in my life that was, you know, you know, remotely good enough to make people <laughs> expect me to make the chili bowl a main. Yeah. Somehow we snuck in through the B main on Saturday, finished fifth transferred into the feature. Um, and it was just like, people couldn't believe it. You know, it was like, there's been some things that have happened since then and other guys that have made it that, you know, is, is equally kind of eyebrow raising. Um, but, that's one of those things that, you know, there's a lot of guys that go race chili bowl, um, that are very, very accomplished racers that struggle and miss the main feature at chili bowl every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, you know, a guy who still, you know, probably has only raced like 50 dirt races total in my life, you know, to go make the chili bowl a main that's, I mean, that is a, that is like the number one accomplishment for me in my entire life is oh, making yeah. the chili bowl, chili bowl a main. So I'm super proud of that. And it was, uh, it made it sting that much worse a couple of years ago. And we, when we missed it by one, because, um, you know, it, you don't get that close that often. And it, it just kind of slipped through our fingers. So you weren't expecting to make the A main. You were just as surprised as everybody else. Oh yeah. No, I was, I was in no way. Exp- I knew we were, our car was pretty good, but, um, I was up to like 10th. I started, I think 14th and they took the top six and I was, I started 14th and got up to like 10th they had a restart with five to go and a big crash happened in front of me. Like somebody like broke and a three or four cars piled in and crashed. So I went from like 10th to seventh, one spot out of the transfer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, like this is, you know, Time this, to is go. this is my shot. You know, if I'm going to make this happen, I got to go. Yeah. And, um, we restarted. I came through one and two came through three and four, had a run. There was guys too wide on the bottom and they kind of slid up and I had such a run on the top that I just stayed in it, basically jumped off the wall, passed them both and went from seventh to fifth and then held on and, and transferred. So, Damn. um, it was like, you know, as exhilarating a moment as I've ever had in my entire life. And, yeah. um, it's, uh, it's hard to, it's, I think impossible to, to duplicate that feeling, you know, until I guess you probably win, you know, that's probably yeah. as bad as, as close as you're going to come. Man, that's awesome. I wish I was, I wish I was more into dirt racing and I like understood the chili bowl back then. So I could, and I, anyway, I wish I knew you better than two so I could have a rooting interest in it. But I, I, I didn't know anything about the chili bowl back then, but that's awesome. Sweet. Yeah, One, you'll get back there. I, I have faith. You'll get back there. Do you, do you want to keep so. doing the chili bowl every year? I do. I mean, it's, it's hard. I don't think I could ever go back and not race. Like I think if I don't race it, I'm going to just stay home because I think it would be too yeah too hard you know it's just FOMO it's, to the it's, max yeah and it's it's infuriating because it's such a difficult week to have everything go exactly like you need it to to have success um and it's i mean as is the case in any race but chili bowl it's just heightened because mm-hmm. uh it it's just so seems long like, yeah it just seems like things you know if one thing goes wrong it derails your entire week so you've got to be perfect every time you're on the track it's it's super stressful um but the reward you know for putting in a good you know good effort and a good week is 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 super high too so and you felt uh, that already so you want that again 
yeah, it's so it's a catch 22. It's uh, yeah. it's a super, super cool event. Um, and it, it kind of just gets in your blood once you go. And, and even if you don't have success, it's just a fun event to be a part of. I think I was texting Hannah when you guys were down there because I've never been. I, I think I've been to I've been to one legitimate dirt race before that's not NASCAR sanctioned. And it was at Volusia during speed weeks like two oh, years yeah. ago. Um, and it was insane, but I, I've been to no other dirt races in my life. So I really, I, I want to go to the snowball derby and I want to go to the chili bowl, uh, probably flip flop those in that order. And, uh, that's on my bucket list. Okay. I got a couple dumb questions when it comes to the chili bowl and then we'll okay. move on to your broadcasting side of things. Um, I've heard, I mean, you said it a bunch of times, Jacob Suma, one of our colleagues at speed sport says it, I don't understand. So like you call it the Indianapolis 500, the Daytona 500. Why do you guys call it Chili Bowl and not the Chili Bowl? Is that a dumb question? No, it's not, actually. <laughs> it's funny because I, I had never really even thought about that, but you're right. Um, I don't know. I think it's... That's just what it is? It's just people just say we're going to Chili Bowl or, you know, okay. what well, I don't I don't know. I, don't know I mean, people say we're going to Indy, we're going to Daytona, but yeah. like, you know, they, they don't say we're going to Daytona 500. It's like... Right. What? No, I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. No, it's... Uh, I don't know. That's a, that's a it good works question. for the chili bowl though. Yeah. Like I'm going to yeah. probably start saying chili bowl instead of the chili bowl. And when I go down there, I'll be sure to eliminate the, for my vocabulary so I can fit in. Like yeah, it works. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just bad racer grammar. I mean, that's I probably know. what it comes down to. Also, have you gotten the chili bowl flu? This is very timely talk with the pandemic still going on. Yeah, I didn't get it this year. Um, well, and it's funny. I I've gotten it before, um, multiple times, but it's funny, you know, everybody, you know, has their opinions on masks. And the first thing that I said when they, when they came out with the mask mandate for chili bowl was that we're all going to leave that building feeling probably better than we ever have before. And yeah. we did <laughs> like every, like I've never spent a week in that building and left and come home and felt better the week after than I did this year, because yeah. you're breathing in so many fumes and dirt and, you know, people are, you know, drinking. So that's making you not feel great too. So it's like yeah. you always, you know, the Monday after chili bowl usually, or the Sunday after when you're, you know, flying home is always rough. I mean, you just don't feel good. Yeah. So, you know, the masks is something that, you know, even if we go back next year and they say, you don't have to wear them. It's like, I'd probably put one on in the grandstands anyways, yeah. cause it's, you know, it's going to make you feel that much better. So, uh, yeah, but I, I have gotten the chili bowl flu and it's, uh, it is not fun for sure. People at the Chili Bowl were doing uh, social distance, not social distancing, but they were doing masks before it was cool. You know what right? I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah, they were. I mean, there, there was countless people there that you'd see in years past and you'd kind of chuckle yeah. to yourself and think, oh, this guy's wearing a mask. But it's like, shoot, I'm a believer now. I'll do it too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like, what does the Chili Bowl flu entail? Like, are you like throwing up or do you just feel like just utter shit? No, I mean, it's just, week? it's just, you just feel bad. You know, it's yeah. like, I mean, and, and it's different for everybody, obviously, but it's just, you know, you basically have spent a week in there breathing, you know breathing alcohol fumes and dirt into your lungs. So alcohol, just, cigarettes, yeah. gasoline, dirt. Yeah. It's bad. So it's, it's somebody said one time, you know, it's like you breathe alcohol all day and then you drink alcohol all night and then wonder why we all get sick when we leave, <laughs> which is pretty much, you know, pretty much spot on. Got to put that on a t-shirt and sell it at the chili bowl 2022. Uh -huh. <laughs> yep. That's funny. Um, one more topic about your racing. Did you ever have any aspirations to go stock car racing? Because now it's what you cover on a semi full-time basis. I mean, to my knowledge, you don't really cover any dirt racing as much as you do fendered cars. Did you have any aspirations to go that route or was it always just dirt? No, I, I was, you know, when I was 
of that age where I kind of was starting to, you know, want to have some serious career aspirations. Yeah. I mean, NASCAR was definitely, you know, on my radar, you know, it Mm -hmm. was, um, you know, things just kind of worked out the way they did that I never really wanted or, or got the opportunity to do anything stock car related, you know, racing wise. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely, uh, definitely a goal. And, and I told people this all the time, you know, it's like, I was always just of the mindset that I just wanted to make a living driving race cars, whether it yeah. was, uh, IndyCar or NASCAR or you're not know, alone <laughs> sprint cars or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. It's like, I just wanted to make a living. And it's kind of the same thing I tell people now too, with my broadcasting. It's like, people ask me, it's like, well, what do you like more? Do you like doing NASCAR or IndyCar or sports cars? It's like, man, like as long as the checks keep coming, it's like, I'll, I'll do whatever, <laughs> you know, it's like, I, yeah. I don't really, you know, I don't necessarily have a, have a favorite or one that I like more than the other. It's like, I yeah. just, I just want to keep working, you know, I, I hear you there. All right. We're, we're hopping all over the place time-wise, but let's go to college. What do you say? Let's relive our glory sure. days. Sure. All state. You graduated in 2016 with a degree. I think that was focused in digital sports production. I had yep. never heard of that being a focus in, within a major. So I guess my first question there is, did you want to be on the other side of the camera? Did you want to be a producer or a director or something? Because it seems like a lot of the work that you did, that was Emmy award winning, by the way, in college at Ball State. Clearly really good. And it seems like you wanted to maybe go that route. Am I right? Yeah, it was. It, it's it's funny. So I, I was in a program at Ball State called SportsLink, which is a entirely student run basically production company, you know, Ball only State one has, in the country, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ball state has mm-hmm. incredible facilities, um, you know, through, uh, you know, the rest of the, of the TCOM department, but specifically ball state sports link, mm-hmm. um, you know, has an incredible, you know, amount of, of, you know, different tools and things that you can use to build yourself up as an aspiring, you know, whatever in TCOM. Mm-hmm. So in high school, you know, I'd announced, uh, you know, basketball and football and radio and TV, um, wasn't really all that good and got to ball state, you know, where there's obviously much more talented people, um, that just were better than me and got, got those on air positions. So I had started working for USAC, you know, doing some, you know, doing announcing and stuff to continue that. But, uh, when I was at ball state, I was really pretty heavily focused on the production and editing side. Um, and I don't really know that I ever designated that as the path I wanted to go down permanently, but, um, it was something that I just knew I kind of needed to take advantage of. And I, I, I didn't, I didn't really have any other choice cause I wasn't getting on air reps at school. So I kind of needed mm-hmm. to do something. Um, so, um, and, and looking back on that, it's like, I wish I'd taken advantage more of some of the stuff that they had, but, yeah. um, yeah, it was, it was amazing, you know, an amazing experience to get to go through that program. And, um, you know, I think prepared me super well for, um, you know, once I got out of college. And I mean, I think I had this conversation with Jamie Little, um, just understanding the basics of the industry. And that goes for any aspect, whether it's radio, television, writing. So, you know, like you understand what it takes to make a live race broadcast go, whether it's on radio or television, because you do both. And having that background in production, I'm currently a PA at NBC Sports Washington. You did production at Ball State, won Emmys for it. Having that knowledge base to understand, you know, like, what makes the cookie crumble and how the sausage is made. I think that's really, really valuable. Don't you? Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, I think just kind of understanding and appreciating 
everybody's own individual unique roles, you know, it, it, I think goes a long way too, because, um, you know, not that, you know, yeah, you have moments on broadcast where you're frustrated with something that, you know, goes on in the truck and, uh, you know, but you understand it's like, okay, it wasn't intentional. It's somebody just trying to do their job. Something happens. I've been there. I made God exactly. knows how many mistakes when I was in college. And you've been you know, doing, doing that job yeah. before. Like that's why you can understand it. Right. So I think just, I think having an understanding, like you said, of, of what it all takes combined to make mm-hmm. a broadcast go and be successful. Um, I think it, I think it does help and, and, and help more so just from a, an appreciation perspective of, of the job that everybody else is doing, because it's just as important as, uh, you know, as my job may or may not be. So, um, yeah, I agree. It does help. So before we get to MRN, uh, let's tackle USAC and your PA announcing for them first, because I feel like those kind of, you know, go hand in hand to a certain extent. How did you get involved with them in the first place? And uh, when you were PA announcing for USAC, I listened to some of your clips that I saw on your website. You're really good. It's almost like you should be a turn announcer for MRN. Crazy. <laughs> um, but h- how did that come to be in the first place? Because um, I, I didn't know that you actually did that um, up until I was researching for this episode. How'd that come about? And I assume you really liked it because that's your world. I loved it. Yeah, it was uh, it was three of the most fun years of, of my life up to this point. And um, again, like I said, you know, I was I was at Ball State and I wasn't really getting any on air opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I knew that, you know, I wanted to be involved in racing somehow. I'd kind of curtailed my own personal driving, um, but wanted to stay involved. So I reached out to USAC and, you know, had raced with USAC. So knew those, you know, knew the decision makers there. Mm-hmm. And just reached out. I was like, "Hey, like, are you guys looking for an announcer, like, at all, or you know, pit reporter, or anything?" And they were like, "Yeah, actually, we are." So uh, it was it was that easy. And uh, I went to a couple races and just kind of uh, you know shadowed another guy, one of a, a longtime veteran announcer that has has called Indiana Sprint Car Racing for for many years. I just kind of came and, and shadowed him for a weekend, and on like a Monday morning. Uh, Kirk Spridgen is the guy's name. Who's now the race director at USAC, but he's a buddy of mine. He called me. He was like, Hey, we're, uh, we're running sprint cars at Eldora this weekend. We need an announcer. So you're up. So my very first race that I ever announced was at Eldora, um, doing sprint cars. And, uh, and that was like April of 2014. Welcome to the show. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I'd never done it before. I mean, I had, you know, play by play experience, Mm -hmm. but I uh, had never called racing, you know, live before. Uh, and they just kind of, you know, threw me to the wolves and, and let me figure it out as I went. I made mistakes and got, you know, called out for them, but I learned. And, and by mm-hmm. the end of the year, you know, felt like I'd improved a lot. And then, and then that kind of spiraled into, uh, you know, basically putting a, a tape together and, and sending it to MRN. So uh, I have, I have the USAC job, you know, to thank for, for all of that, that, that came afterwards. It's kind of like uh, having like a five minute tune up practice session and then going to run your first cup race at the Daytona 500. It's like, yeah, come on, you're throwing me to the wolves here, but you did yep. well. So it works. Yep. No, and it, it was cool. I mean, it was like, you know, looking back on it, it was one of those things where it's like, you know, man, they put a lot of faith in me because that's, you know, that's a, it was, yeah. on a live, it was on a live stream, you know, which was in the early days of, of streaming. You know, not everything mm-hmm. was, was live stream back then, but Eldora had a streaming service on their website that you could Eldora's watch. a big so, deal. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, I mean, anybody who knows, you know, knows racing knows Eldora. So, I mean, it was, it was a big, 
you know, a big, you know, leap of faith for them to, to put me behind the mic my first time there. So, um, it was, it was cool. And I, and I'm always, uh, I'm, you know, my heart, you know, always beats a little faster when I get to Eldora just because that place is so awesome, but because yeah. that's where, that's where it all started for me. Thank you to Dylan for that chat. Again, that was only part one. Part two will be coming next week on episode 98 of Victory Lane. We'll hear more from Dylan about his career, illustrious one at that, and so much more. Let's preview Las Vegas Motor Speedway this upcoming weekend. Second mile and a half track in a row. This one will not be like Homestead, though. I don't think it will be. Look for the bigger names to show up and show out. Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, Kevin Harvick, Denny Hamlin, Chase Elliott, Martin Truex Jr., the like. You know what I mean? Maybe Michael McDowell will get another top 10. I don't know. Do I think he will? No. But is it possible? Of course it is. I said that last week about Homestead, and we saw Reddick get a top two. We saw McDowell almost get a top five. We saw Busher win a stage. So that shows how much I know. Zilch, obviously. Joey Logano is the defending winner of this race. It's the Pennzoil 400, 267 laps, 400.5 miles for the second week in a row. By virtue of the very strange formula that Bob Pockris does uh, math with his own brain because he is very, very smart. Happy belated birthday, by the way, Bob. Kevin Harvick is on the pole by virtue of that formula. And the Xfinity and Truck Series is also in action this week. Have you seen what Marcus Lemonis is doing? He's sponsoring like half the truck field. And like, that's not even an exaggeration. Maybe a little bit because I think Matt Weaver of Auto Week had an article that said a quarter of the field will have the Camping World blue and yellow on their trucks. Sheldon Creed, Grant Enfinger, Rafael Lasard, Jordan Anderson, Jesse Awuji, uh, BJ McLeod, Dawson Cram, Norm Benning, Parker Kligerman. It's ridiculous what he's doing. He's just, he's just tossing around money, sponsoring cars and trucks. It, it, it's crazy. And I've seen some takes saying that this is bad for the series because it's the title sponsor and you're like bringing down the price of sponsorship. I, I can kind of see that, but at the end of the day, we have a title sponsor of a series that is putting in a ton of money, a ton of activation into putting their logo and their brand attached to the series on these trucks, and I think it's a great thing. So, Marcus Limonis, if you'd like to come on the podcast to discuss, actually use your About Me section on your website to send you an email to ask if you'd be interested. So, Mr. Limonis, the floor is yours. Also, RIP to the spotters on Friday night at the truck race at 9 p.m. on Fox Sports 1, trying to figure out which truck is which because they all are just going to look the exact same with all those Camping World colors. Triple header, though. Trucks Friday at 9, Xfinity Saturday at 4.30, and Cup Sunday at 3 on Big Ol' Fox. Look, that's of the week. Cue that funky music, white boy. 10, count them, 10 crew chiefs were fined for loose lug nuts post-Homestead Miami Speedway. Six in the Cup Series, four in Xfinity. Randall Burnett for Tyler Reddick, Alan Gustafson for Chase Elliott, Ben Bayshore for Kyle Busch, James Small for Martin Truex Jr., Mike Shiplett for Cole Custer, and Phil Surgeon for Ross Chastain were fined 10 grand apiece. Then you had Taylor Moyer for Josh Berry, Jason Trenchier for A.J. Allmendinger, Jeff Mendering for Brandon Jones, and Mark Setzer for Jeremy Clements find 5K a piece as well. Ethel M. Chocolates, which is owned by Mars, who owns M&M's, 
They're going to be on Kyle Busch's cup car this weekend in Las Vegas. Interesting looking purple scheme for him. Kyle Larson and Joey Logano add their names to the list of drivers in the Cup Series that will run in the Bristol Dirt Nationals with Kyle Busch leading up to the Bristol Dirt Race. Homestead Miami Speedway, they under 2.5 rating, which was 4.24 million viewers for the Cup Series race on Sunday. That's their largest audience since 2017. There was a tire test for Goodyear at Coda this week. Chase Elliott, Brad Keselowski, and Martin Truex Jr. competed in it. Dollar Loan Center is sponsoring Josh Balicki this weekend with Rickware Racing. Built Bar is sponsoring Corey LaJoy with his face on the car for a second time in his career. Spire Motorsports has partnered with Nations Guard, which is Kyle Larson's sponsor, for Las Vegas on Justin Haley's 77 this weekend. Phoenix Raceway announced a sellout for their Cup Series race next weekend, so that's good to hear. Everybody stay safe out there. Dead on Tools, they're going to sponsor the Martinsville Speedway Xfinity race in October around Halloween. Dogecoin to the moon. You remember the Doge car with Josh Wise? Well, they're back, sponsoring Stefan Parsons for the Las Vegas Motor Speedway race this weekend with BJ McLeod Motorsports. Poor Rack is sponsoring Kyle Weatherman and Mike Harmon Racing this weekend. Brandon Brown gained Green Tech Energy as a sponsor for this weekend as well. Ben and Pat's Banana Pepper Sauce. Sounds interesting. Joined Spencer Boyd Racing for the 2021 year. Hunter Nation has joined Derek Krause and McAnally Higgleman Racing for multiple races this season. Bill Lester, remember him, the Truck Series veteran, African-American driver, first to make a cup start since Wendell Scott back in the day. He's planning on making his Truck Series return at Atlanta Motor Speedway upcoming this season. Circle B Diecast is on board for Carson Hosevar for Las Vegas with Nice Motorsports. Roper Racing is teaming up with Children's Miracle Network for Vegas. And as I mentioned, Marcus Lamonis is sponsoring a quarter of the Truck Series field, including Sheldon Creed, Jordan Anderson, Norm Benning, Grant Enfinger, Rafael Lassar, Jesse Awuji, BJ McLeod, Dawson Cramp, and Parker Kligerman. Whew. God. Marcus, if you want to sponsor this podcast, advertising is wide freaking open, so hit my line, my man. That will wrap things up for episode 97 of Victory Lane 2.0. Hope you guys like what you heard today. If you did, do me a favor, leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to the podcast. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. Usually wherever you get your podcasts, you should be available there for your consumption. I'm working hard for y'all. We got part two with Dylan coming next week. And I'm, I got something cooking, something in the works for episode 100 with somebody that I think you all know and that means a lot to me. So I'll let you guys marinate on that. Until next time, stay safe, stay inside, keep washing those hands, keep wearing that mask, social distance when possible. We're almost at the finish line of this thing, people, and I will catch you on the flip side.